Hi, welcome back to Teens by Middle Ground. This week, we held a discussion on what the aftermath of COVID-19 looks like regarding reopening schools and churches, the election, and more. Keep in mind that we held this discussion in August, so some of the topics discussed are no longer applicable. Um, we can talk about the Trump Trump's decision or opinion on going back to school. He has said that he wants to open school doors no matter what, um, and he wants to. He suggests that almost half of funds for K through twelve schools in the COVID nineteen package could be unavailable to schools that do not reopen with in person learning. Do you think this is fair to withhold uh, funding from schools for staying online? Well, I feel like it's just part of his eight thousand hypocrisies. I mean. He talks about um, kids need to go to school, but he doesn't mention how they're going to go to school. He talks about like um, his kids and like their mental illness is really bad right now. But when he didn't care about it when like a school shooting happened, he didn't care about mental illness and thing until it fitted his narrative. And it's ironic because he's like, go back to school, go back to school. But his own son is not even going to go back to school in the fall. The school's not even opening up. Do you think that's something to consider though? Like, um, ch- like students and like especially elementary school. A lot of um, professionals had said that it could impede like their social development and like kind of affect them for the rest of their lives if they don't go back to school in a social environment. I think that's something to consider even with a pandemic going on. You have to consider how like the the values and everything that school provides you when you're in school in person. If you're dead, that's my thing. Like um, in terms like like the social development part for elementary kids, that's like a bigger thing. Like the education gap that they're gonna face later on but they can't really socialize in a normal way because if they do, then that's a health issue. Um, Some people consider school, regardless of where they're going, to be a safe haven from abusive households. I think it's easy for people to be like, oh, just go online, it'll be safe from the virus. But there's stuff like that that you have to consider when reopening. So how do you think schools should handle that? Not only that, but you also have to look at economic instabilities especially in a time when when people are are suffering economically you know um maybe you you don't have the money to pay for the best wi-fi which you need um for zoom or you don't have you know a top-notch computer or a computer at all so i feel like that funding that is going towards schools should be reused in a sort of way um to support kids that that you know still need to, to to get meals that need to get out of the house um maybe they can provide some sort of a center or the schools can can create you know like a online center that not all kids have to go um to school so kids that want to opt out of you know just staying at their house they can go to a school and have a, a computer there where they can still you know do their virtual learning but it's also not you know a thousand kids 500 kids packed into um a huge school building where the virus can spread like crazy yeah, definitely. It has been criticized that Donald Trump hasn't been, had taken like a very strong federal action on the pandemic. But do you think that's okay because of the fact that the coronavirus and its severity differs so much from state to state and city to city? Well, here's the thing. Um, te- Texas didn't even have um, lockdown measures that were nearly as strict as New York did. New York didn't even allow people to go to church. If, if people did, he issued a warning, and then if they did it again, they were arrested. And then, and going to church is a constitutional constitutional right. Mary to Bill de Blasio should never have restricted church services. So that's so that's where the um, the liberation thing comes from.
Yeah, but in Texas, like, um, during the stay-at-home order, you couldn't even go to church. So I don't see your point in bringing up uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio in terms of Texas because they both said, like, no church, no mosque during the stay-at-home order period. Yeah, I would understand, like, Dallas, Austin, Houston, and I, I think El Paso. I, I understand those. Those are big cities in Texas. So I would understand, like, I would understand um, not promoting larger gatherings. If you consider the fact that New York City, led by Bill de Blasio, was a hotspot for the virus during the lockdown, then, um, and then you also take into account that in Texas in particular, across the whole state, cases and deaths were much higher than they are now. They're still high now, I'm not denying that, but they were way higher, like, especially in the month of April. But wouldn't you think that if we all went back to school now, they'd just rise again? I'm not saying we all go back to school. I like the hybrid strategy that that um, that my school is enforcing, that your school is doing. No, I think right now, just fully virtual is the safest option. Um, as I mentioned before, I think you know a few students definitely need to go to school or at least have a safe environment that they can go towards. But even some of these schools, um, if we have half of the students attending, that's still way too many students. It would still be compacted uh, in that area. Yeah. So should that be considered the fact that coronavirus in younger children, especially elementary school age, middle school age, it impacts them a lot less severely than it does adults? Does that play any, does that hold any candle to like maybe the fact that it affects like senior citizens more? Like should that be considered when reopening schools, the fact that children are affected less than adults? I think kids can still carry the virus, you know, they might just be asymptomatic, but they could still carry the virus. And that means carrying it to their parents, carrying it to their grandparents, and, you know, even just bringing it back into school and carrying it to teachers and administrators. And I mean, in my opinion, you know, one, uh, one person dying at the cost of me getting, you know, an education in person versus an education online, you know, that's not something that I would do. I wouldn't want someone to die just for me to be able to go back in person. I have... I have Asperger's syndrome and asthma, so people would think on the surface that it would be dangerous for me to go. But I'm still going. I've heard that kids do really well when they catch it. I don't know if you guys saw like the latest study. I'm pretty sure it was South Korea, but then like the CDC, like kind of like confirmed the study, like agreed with it. Kids younger than 10 like spread it less in a little bit, like not even that much, but like they spread it less or like they have lesser a degree of it. But kids older than 10 spread just as well as adults so like i kind of want to go back to something that simon said earlier in terms of churches because that's kind of been a contentious issue in um, reopening is should churches reopen i feel like in terms of, like deciding what works best you have to look at other countries like the uk and italy and spain especially china they had like the strictest lockdown now they can walk around no mask no nothing in the UK, they can go to school in full sizes, just wear a mask, but it's not as strict anymore because they have very strict lockdown purposes. And with the churches, you can do church, like, you know, online through live stream. A bunch of other countries are doing that, and it works fine. And I think, I feel like churches would be able to manage um, under certain restrictions. So I think they should be able to open just because, I mean, people who are of... Um, the level of faith that they believe that they need to be in church in person, I wouldn't stop them from going in person. People can still be safe if they're wearing masks. 
I mean, I'd say limit the singing because singing has been seen to be one of the most dangerous things. Um, but certain measures could be taken. Yeah, yeah and, ch- and for the most part, I would think churches are limiting capacity, just like restaurants and other places. So let's move into mail-in voting because I, that's been in the news a lot recently with Donald Trump and his opinion on the USPS and the Postal Service. And he's made a lot of statements that have not been taken well by the public. So... Um, he has admitted that he is with he is trying to withhold funding towards the U.S. Postal Service to undermine its ability to handle mail-in voting for the 2020 election, or allegedly that's what a lot of Democrats are assuming. Does this underfunding or funding cuts undermine the dem- our democracy, and or is it justified? Oh, of course it undermines democracy. Like I don't even know how you can say it doesn't. On terms of, like the election stuff, I mean he's obviously doing that because. Let's say, like, if he loses, and he can just say, oh, mail-in ballots, he can just attack that. Here's the thing. Um, what I heard was that he wants to fund the USPS. He wants to be able to keep that service going. The problem is um, when, when, he try, when he tells Congress, hey, I want, a funding, I want to pass a bill that helps fund the USPS, they send him that and then other stipulations that he doesn't want involved in the bill so he vetoes it but it's different now that that he actually has executive power he is a chief of the executive branch that is very scary now if he just decides to not accept the results or like does any way to rig the election and many he truly believes in many republicans that support him or don't support him believe that um mail-in voting will lead to high like instances of fraud and mail-in mail-in fraud and stuff like that do you guys agree with that I understand the potential for it, and I think as in every single election, there are going to be some sort of cases of, you know, fraudulent voting, uh, mishaps when it comes to to voting, when it comes to um, sending in your results. However, everyone does have a constitutional right um, to vote, and they shouldn't be refused that right just because they're scared of, of, you know, contracting a, a a deadly virus so in that case i believe that there there should be that that availability to send in a mail-in ballot but there has to be some sort of a confirmation that um the person sent it in by november 3rd reality is there will be enough votes in that a winner will be decided by november 3rd just because of a you know, earlier votes and people that actually walk in and, and go in and vote in person, there will be enough votes for them to declare a winner. And if not, we just keep on counting for the next two days. But I don't think fraudulent voting should be such a, a, a big issue if we can have some sort of a way to prove that, that people voted. And like the stats for voter fraud are like very, very low, like 0.00 something, like just super, super low. But in terms of like um, the counting thing and the absentee and the voting, that's why, like, we need to have, like, um, the USPS be able to handle the mass amount of absentee ballots that are going to come in right now. Because, I mean, ballots taking, like, what, like, like a mail right now is taking, like, three weeks. Sometimes, like, I don't know, it's like, very, very slow, and that's another issue. I just want to mention that Dr. Fauci has said, I don't see why we can't vote in person based on how the country's doing right now. Um, second... Um, I'm glad that Jennifer synonymized um, mail-in voting with absentee voting because we're, we're not completely against that. Um, 
the the reason Trump wants to and the reason Trump is is against mail in voting as a separate thing from absentee voting is because is because there's already cases of voter fraud with the absentee ballots. So if we were to if we were to have everybody do a mail in vote, the election would be far easier to tamper with domestically. And like I'm glad you brought that up because for some reason when I'm talking to someone who doesn't agree with it, they're like, oh, "Well, um, we don't want universal mail in ballots." I feel like you guys think that Democrats want just want to cancel voting in person, just every single person in the United States vote by mail. That's not what we want. Uh, well, I was reading that Trump um, is not against like absentee voting, but he's against universal um, mail in voting. Because it is easier um, for fraud and like, especially the states that just um, send out like voter applications without, um, or they send out ballots without first like receiving voter applications or anything like, you know, if they send them out to residences where those people don't live there anymore, someone else could um, take that person's identity or stuff like that. And then well, see, like, nobody wants, like, app, like, universal, like, nobody wants every single person in the U.S. to vote by mail. I think that's what, like, the misconception is, because, I mean, obviously people are going to vote by mail more, but we need to make the system efficient now, because, I mean, every single year there's, million, like, millions of mail-in ballots, and, like, yes, like, there is voter fraud, a small amount, but there is still voter fraud, so let's find a way, invest more, not, like, try to, like, slow down the process, but invest more into... Um, security for mail-in ballots because absentee mail-in voting same thing if you if you add the word universal to mail-in voting then it will be a different thing right so that's that's what my take is on it that i agree with you know trump and other leaders that there is a risk associated with mail-in ballots but as opposed to trying to defund various aspects of the usps or trying to slow down the process take away mailboxes etc i wish you would instead invest in better election security with mail-in ballots. Um, I think that's a better strategy because I do agree that there is a certainly a risk with mail-in ballots. For example, in Patterson, New Jersey, there's an example, there was an election there and like a huge segment of the electorate said that they never voted even though they were their names appeared on like the voting list. And they said they never voted in the election. Um, in addition, there was a recent like CDS, uh, or rather CBS um, trial where they, you know, they wanted to experiment. So they sent in a hundred ballots just to test where they went. And they lost like three of them. It took a while to even get the 97 back. It was like a whole mishap. So I think there's a risk associated with mail-in balloting, but I think, I wish Trump instead had invested in the USPS to make it more safe, as opposed to trying to defund it and take money away. And I think he wants to. Um, another big thing that has happened with the aftermath of COVID is going to be the emergence of a vaccine. And something that we have to consider is in what order will the vaccine be distributed? Because a lot of professionals, medical professionals, had said that it's going to take for like years and years for everybody in this country to be vaccinated. So who gets priority? Is it just people with health care? Is it the people in higher risk areas, higher risk age limits? Well, I'm pretty sure um, I saw an article that they're trying to make the coronavirus vaccine when it comes out like completely free. Like, I don't know if, like, free is, like, free-free, like a flu shot free, or if it's, like, free with insurance and all that. But, I mean, the vaccine will not be come out until, like, a year, year and a half. And, like, in terms of the vaccine and, like, vaccination, 
sorry, like people like want it because you know that means like life can like somehow get back to normal. But people are promoting vaccines, like they're getting like a vaccine sources from the wrong people. Like instead of like, and like that's the whole thing with like um hydroxychloroquine. Like all three doctors have confirmed that it is ineffective. I mean, in like individual situations, it may be effective, but as a whole, it's ineffective. And so that's why I feel like with the president trying to promote a drug that has not been declared, you know, effective in treating COVID, only like um, when yeah, severe. That's kind of dangerous. Okay, so here, here's the thing about hydroxychloroquine. Um, I know of two separate doctor testimonies. One, Dr. Stella Emanuel, whose video went viral, um, she treated at least 350 patients with a combination of hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and Citramax. Not a single one died. Um, a doctor treated 500 people with basic, with I think the same um, regimen, and he saw similar results. Um, and I would say that, um, the, the Dems are actually right. Hydroxychloroquine itself is not the cure. Although it was tested against SARS-CoV-1 back in 2005, and it was proven to have prophylactic and therapeutic advantage, meaning it works as a cure and a vaccine. For this one, what actually works as a cure is zinc. Hydroxychloroquine is what enables the body to absorb zinc better. So that's why Trump is promoting hydroxychloroquine so much. Okay, so so this is one of the very rare times when I actually completely side with Trump. And I think the media's done a horrible job with this. So a couple months ago, towards the beginning of the pandemic, CNN ran a headline saying that Trump falsely claims that hydroxychloroquine is like, you know, a, helps with coronavirus. Two months later, they run a headline saying study shows that hydroxychloroquine actually does help. Right? And Trump had said that all along. Um, and not only that, I also have you know, family members who are doctors and one of them is in Florida and their hospitals run a study, which also shows the uh, benefit of running hydroxychloroquine as one of the treatments. Now, I don't know if it's a full cure. Um, I'm unaware of that, but I will give credit where credit is due, irrespective of whether Trump is a businessman, president, however you view him, he was correct when he said at the outset of the pandemic that hydroxychloroquine was showing benefits when used to treat patients with uh, COVID-19. And the media bashed him for it. And then as soon as the studies came out saying that it was indeed, in fact, you know, a useful uh, drug to help treat COVID-19, there was no apology, no, no, you know, recourse from the media. They went on as if they never had bashed him so mercilessly for it. So this is one of the instances where I really do think the media completely messed up and Trump was 100% in the right. Just to point out, I don't know, but uh, Trump, I think part of the media's reason for bashing him so aggressively was his statement about the disinfectant at that one press conference. I think that was a little bit maybe rash on his part or. So the reason the reason I trust Dr. Stella's Dr. Stella's testimony over Dr. Fauci's is because Dr. Fauci advocates for wearing a mask and socially distancing. But um, when when he went to that Washington game or when he went to a baseball game and threw the first pitch, I forget which teams were where the Washington Nets and Washington Nationals yes yes okay so. so when he threw the first ball at their game um as he was sitting down watching the rest of the game he was not socially distancing and he was not wearing a mask considering that he's an older person so he's more at risk I don't trust that testimony near enough and like Dr. Fauci you have to realize that he has been in the past six presidential administrations in terms of um, epidemiology he is a nationally 
whatchamacallit, like, famous, I won't say famous, but, like, respected doctor. I mean, like, he's been in, like, this whole thing since, like, past six administrations, de- Democrat and Republican. So it's just kind of ironic how now, and under this president, how he, like, bashes him. Yeah, and, like, I feel like in terms of, like, Dr. Fauci versus Trump and, like, who to trust more, that really got down to, like, um, the approval rating. Because, I mean, if you like Dr. Fauci for whatever reason you have, even though he's a highly respected doctor, but Dr. Burks, um, um, people have been, like, you know, getting mad at her because, like, she always, like, sides with Trump and whatever. And it's, like, the moment that she does it and she says that um, the country isn't doing very good, it's, like, a couple of weeks ago, then, like, Trump just, like, yelped at her, like, starts making fun of her. And so I feel like that is, like, disrespecting, like, he, like, two like very high qualified been working on this for their whole entire lives okay so um i i do i do want to bring up one more thing about dr fauci that i know um the virology journal published that study in 2005 that tested the effects of sars-cov-1 again of hdq against sars-cov-1 and they and that's where they found that it has uh cure and and prevention advantage Here's the thing, the Virology Journal is the um, publication journal for the National Institute of Health, and it was back, it was, uh, it was the publication back when Dr. Fauci was involved in it. So, um, as far as the conspiracy goes, I don't know if this is actually true, um, but uh, as far as as the conspiracy goes, Dr. Fauci has known that HCQ works to some degree, and for the entirety of this pandemic has not bothered to endorse it once. Okay, well, you can't just blame Dr. Fauci if all the other doctors say that it's not effective treatment, so I don't see your point. Like, I'm really I, confused. I think the point is regarding more the media than the actual doctors themselves, when the media repeatedly bashed Trump and other proponents of hydroxychloroquine when he touted it as a possible, you know, aid in the recovery of coronaviruses and then there was no recourse when it did come out through studies that it actually indeed was and yeah and there's also and there's also the fact that dr fauci to many people is a credible source for all the right reasons but um the fact that he knew this and didn't endorse it means he was holding back valuable information and that's that's what i blame him for not for um not for um not for anything else Okay, but okay, but do you blame Dr. Burks and Dr. Redfield as well? Because they are like the top three. Okay, wait, I think this discussion is getting a little bit too specific. It's almost like fruitless to discuss this because it's nobody should be listening to the words of just one doctor, even if it's Dr. Fauci or Dr. Stella. No one should be listening to one doctor. And this is all new to us. The COVID-19 has never occurred to anyone in our lifetime, it's never happened before. So there's gonna be new information from different doctors. There's gonna be a bunch of different opinions. And I think that you should take everything with a grain of salt when you're reading the news. And yeah, so (laughs) I have like one more question that's kind of more on a global scale and historical scale. So after the 1918 influenza, Europe kind of fell. They were at the very top of the world almost. It was after World War II, they were the world power. Or I mean, I guess the U.S. was coming up, but um, but after the pandemic, their economy crashed, and basically Europe kind of fell from being the 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 leading of the leader of the world. Do you think this pandemic is the mark of the U.S.'s fall from like the leader of the free world? We were seen as like kind of like this benchmark country that all the countries like democratic 
nations aspire to be? Do you think this is a mark where we kind of are losing to, to like Asian countries and we're starting to decline in the world's view because of our reaction to this pandemic? First of all, you meant World War One, right? World, yeah, sorry, World War One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I think from a global's perspective, we are already garnering that that reaction that you know you've sort of seen um, the past few years, and maybe this pandemic will just enhance that that perception of of we're no longer you know the the top of the world, that that number one nation um, that everyone considered us to be. We're no longer that that global power. And I think the world, specifically Europe, certain European countries, um, you know, Spain, Germany, France, etc., will will start to to look at themselves at, at a at a higher be- uh, pedestal um, instead of always turning to the United States, which you may have seen, you know, thirty forty years ago, um, where U.S. was was considered on top of the world. I think we're we're no longer considered number one in that sense, um, and and. The country has just shown flaws and, and other countries have started to know, uh, notice that, which in the past, you know, of course, we've always had flaws, just other countries didn't pay attention to them. And do you think that's because of our reaction or our hand? I think the way COVID, we handled COVID the co- definitely plays into it. COVID definitely plays into it because it's like, you know, oh, we got it all under control, but the U.S. is out here suffering, um, even as this great nation with all these great doctors and, and great uh, universities, they're still the ones out here being so, effed up. So I don't know how to compare the U.S. to other countries in terms of how we handle the coronavirus, um, but I do think um, that COVID combined with um, the severe political division in this country that you see elsewhere, um, those combined could um, bring us to a lower reputation. Um but that that doesn't change the fact that um, we are still the country with the most freedoms in the entire world. So I do think we're still the greatest country on earth, but I do think we could fall. The, um, I like to say that because, um, I mean, like I have like family outside this country and like they tell us like for the past few years, you yeah, have been like a whole laughing stock. It's funny because... Um, like um, our GDP shrank thirty three percent, and like UK, their GDP shrank six percent, I believe. No, twenty two, twenty two, and like they have like a very strict measures. And um, I think with our whole police brutality issue and like our humanitarian crisis at the border, that was also another problem. The amount of like UN and like Human Rights Council grievances we've gotten is another issue. And then like you have like um, the Prime Minister of France, I believe, if it's the Prime Minister. Like telling the EU, it's like get ready for like a world where like the US is not an ally. You have like um, the Chancellor of Germany. I don't know what she is, but she's like the leader of Germany. Um, she um, rejected like Trump's invite to go like to the White House, but spoke at like the Harvard graduation. So, so in in response to that, I would say that we're we're gaining a a little bit of ground. I can already tell because um, Trump Trump helped helped Israel and the UAE. Uh, reach reach a peace deal, which is um, which is remarkable according to some people, and I don't think other countries' opinions of us de- um, factor in as nearly as much as our opinion of ourselves. Because while while we were still great, 
people like China hated us um, because we were because we were so free. They were communists, and so they hated even the concept of individual freedom. Um, so I, I do think it's bad that we have a bad reputation, but I don't think that matters nearly as much of, as what the United States thinks of itself collectively. Ultimately, I think it's going to be pretty short term. If Biden gets elected, I think very quickly, you know, people will begin to forget around the world. And I think people will move on, um, you know, as opposed to, say, Trump gets reelected, in which case I'm, I think the U.S.'s problems will continue to be exacerbated in the public sphere, meaning that uh, the media will continue to report very you know, violently about the various going ons in the country, as opposed to under Obama, where our domestic affairs were not so violently reported in the media. So I think it's more of, you know, just a public perception standpoint. Um, Obama, you know, whether you agree with him or disagree with him, I think he just did a better job of concealing various matters and not uh, necessarily, you know, like airing them out for the public to see. Um, but I think, you know, Biden gets elected, it'll be a little bit more of a normalization with regards to how other countries view us. But there's also an argument to be made to say, like, who cares how other countries view us? Like, it doesn't matter. And like, um, I see your point in terms of like, you should focus on how we see ourselves. But the thing is, we are very ignorant to ourselves. Think of it like um, peer editing. You have to get that outside point of view to make your, like, your essay better. True. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that we shouldn't solely depend on other countries' opinions of us. Well, I mean, if our allies are starting to, like, look down on us, like, dramatically, and, like, they're already ready for, like, the next... Um, and like a world without us, I feel like it's kind of like a you have to like take like another hint at yourself. Like think of it like if all your friends decided to like leave you because like you were um doing some weird thing, then you're gonna like take a look at yourself like wow, what have I become? I agree partially. Like I think I think on one hand we do need to like especially on trade and stuff, you know, take a look at how we've damaged relationships. On the other hand, I think in some cases, you know, a lot of countries were taking advantage of us prior to Trump entering office with you know bad trade deals we'd signed and, uh, you know, for some examples, we provide, you know, like the vast majority of a lot of European countries' uh, defense budgets and they don't even provide any of their own, like, defense budget. We pretty much paid all for them, in which case, you know, why are we doing that? So I think, I, I agree that we just need to take a look at our relationship, relationships, see which ones are rightfully we need to repair and which ones we should just cut off because we're being, you know, uh, leached off of. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Teens Find Middle Ground. We hope you can join us for next week's discussion.